passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. On Saturday, November 19th, post-wrestling turns five years old. Hi, John and Wayne. It's Chris here from Scotland. I just want to say congratulations on your five-year anniversary at Post. And you guys have been with me through through a lot of stuff. And you guys went away. I was devastated, but then I was elated to find out, like, a wee while later, that you guys were back. You guys have helped me through a lot. You've helped me through covid um, you've helped me through the loss of my business. You just, you guys are awesome. Have a good one. Bye. Leave your memories at memo.fm slash post wrestling and join us Saturday, November 19th at QXT's nightclub in Newark, New Jersey for our five year anniversary show presented by our friends at Real Digital. A live Q&A, the post-origin story, VIP meet-and-greet and event t-shirt with the largest gathering of the post community ever. Tickets available now at postwrestling.com slash live. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. That's right. You have downloaded Rewinded Dynamite, and that is the show that you have with John Pollock and Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hello, John. Welcome back. Yes, I'm back. Where'd I go? I don't know, off to do your life. Oh, okay. Yes. I, I did do some life in between yeah. chats with you. It always yeah. comes back to you. You're my uh, my true north. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Yes, yes. I wasn't trying to be sweet. Um, but if that's how it, it was taken, then then wonderful. Did you have a nice day? I had a great day. Yeah. Oh. Been going on a lot of walks, you know, with the with the baby and um man, we're like, you know, do you track just... your steps? Do you do you do that on your phone? <laughs> Do I you got you to you gotta make John, this entertaining for yourself. John, do I track my steps? Everything I do is being tracked now. Everything I'm saying, every breath I take is being tracked. You know, the, the, every skin cell that I'm shedding is, is being tracked by, by this device right here. So, of course, my steps are being tracked. Of course. I just spill coffee, like, all over myself. Oh, so okay. Well, once, so. anyway, so... um. So yeah, no, like we're like we're doing like you know like uh, 10k steps, like you know, oh, here and there. it's not that that much I think for for a lot of people, but like it's it's nice because 10k weather. is a good number. If you if you got a, I I used to have a Fitbit. I lost like four of those things, and I just got annoyed with them. I do have it on my phone now, so it's a lot easier. But I just I never check it, so I don't know what I do mm-hmm. each day. Uh, but we're trying to take advantage of the weather. It's like it's like um warm enough to to kind of walk in, but like not too hot that like you'll be sweating afterwards. So. Yeah. It feels warmer later in the year than usual. Usually in November, it, it's not this this nice out. 
I'm, I'm, you know, I don't even keep track anymore. Oh. I don't even know what well, someone else is keeping do. track for you. They track the weather too. They track everything now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was your, how was your um, Wednesday? Oh, today sucked. Um, I woke up and I felt like somebody had taken a hammer to my head. That's, that's how I woke up. It just the worst headache. And mm. it just was like full on like migraine by the morning. I was just a mess until about like three thirty this afternoon. You get this like a few times a year, right? These migraines. This wasn't one of the worst ones. Like there's ones where I'm just like, I'm incapacitated. I can't, I can't do anything. I at least could like work and stuff today, but it was just, um, terrible, uh, just mm. really, uh, annoying and such. So I don't know necessarily what the cause of it was, but, uh, that was, that was my battle today. My head. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I'm doing Man. okay now. So all, all's good. All's good. Well, good. Okay. That's it. Dynamite added some matches to full gear. Um, that was it. You want some spoilers? Let's read some spoilers and we'll get out of here. QXT's nightclub. That's it. QXT's nightclub. Man, are they hey guys? The the amount of of uh, publicity we, that we have given to the Q X and the T. Uh, maybe maybe we we should have brought uh, our own uh, factory member like QXT Marshall to this uh, as like a special guest or something like that. Oh yeah, you you could do that. Yeah, you could have gone there. And you did. Uh, I did. And we hope you go there on Saturday, November the 19th, postwrestling.com slash live. I know that there is a uh, a section of people out there that are just, they cannot wait till November 20th. And we're not uh, just throwing this at people. Because I know that if you're not attending live, it's full-on FOMO time that you are going through. That you are just, God, I wish I could live vicariously through all of these people at QXT's nightclub on Saturday, November the 19th, because I know that I'm going to be thinking of Braden and Davey getting up on stage, having one of their so well-received games. I want to know every answer to John Pollock's Q&A alongside Wei Ting. I want to hear about how post-wrestling started. I want to hear about those email exchanges. Was there really going to be a stage show involving post-wrestling that Wei Ting was concocting in June of 2018? All of this you can find out if you show up live on Saturday, November the 19th. Tickets available. Coffee mugs available. A live post-wrestling band in the house. We're going to have WH Park uh, assessing everyone's fashion choices as they walk into the building. We're going to have it all. Mike yeah. Murray with um, – uh, we're, we're going to have the whole the, the whole Murray clan It's going to be in Newark, I understand. From, from what I understand too, yeah. Um, so, yes. That's we're all going to do some Moderna with Chris? Uh, I don't know about that. Now no. you're really over-promising. Over but, okay. um, yeah, you've kind of said it all. Postwrestling.com slash live. Join us. We're looking forward to it. Uh, today we have uh, – let, let's quickly give a heads up because on Thursday, everyone here at Post Wrestling, they're going to find religion and spirituality. Through Wei Ting, Jordan Goodman, and Neil Flanagan, they're going to be going live with a special edition of the wellness policy. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. As someone who attended uh, Catholic school for the uh, – the formative years of my life way. I look forward to this uh, this take on on religion in the uh, in the modern uh, world. Well, I am too, John. I mean, I'm, I don't really know what much to expect, so I'll, I'll be joining the conversation with with Neil and Jordan, and we'll be talking about really kind of uh, every every everybody's so, sort of own unique experience or lack thereof with religion and spirituality. What do you think of this graphic here, John? 
uh, I knew instantly. I, I think you, you get most inspired for this show with your graphic choices. Yeah, well, it's, it, you got, you got to see the group chats that I have with Neil and Jordan. It's really a, a group uh, effort here. You know, it's almost like a little focus group trying to decide what we use for, for the show. How many group chats are going on within our, our, our world? Billions. How many, how many are you involved with, with post people? How many group chats are you in? Group chats? I don't know. I don't think I have too many. I'm not much of a group chatter. Maybe too, too many. That means you have at least more than one. Can I say something? You can always I say something. Always, That's what I rely on. Right. On the topic of, of I guess, group chats, I um, obviously I always appreciate it when people, you know, reach out, especially when they're people that are like mutual friends of you and I. But I got to say, like, I don't love it when people message both you <laughs> and me together. Okay. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know why. Like, like you know, and I'll, we'll just say it like Damien earlier, like, you know, mess- messaged us this morning or like yesterday morning. Wonderful comment. Really sweet comment about like one of our shows. And it's like, um, and the, there weren't many responses from you and I. Whereas, like, I think if he messaged each of us individually, I mean, I, you know, we like I, I texted him like for like you know thirty minutes the other day. And you and I get the sense you feel the same way. Why? Why is that, John? Why is why is there that discomfort? What I want to ask you as a follow up is, how many times? This is more so an email thing, but it also extends to messages. Do we get? each sent something you'll eventually reply. And then I reply within like 20 minutes. Cause I feel like obligated to chime in as well. Once yeah. you respond, like it's an obligation where I will just let it just sit for a week. Oh, well, I mean, that's, that's understandable. You know, they the emails are, are kind of pressing, but I don't know. Like, um, I suppose like, you want to have your own conversations with these people. You don't want to be tied to me 24 seven. I can I understand. I can understand why people would just you know message to the both of us at once. But it's almost like you know when it, when it becomes like a you know a, a message sent to two people, it's almost like a big room. And now you're trying to having a shout in, inside you know a big room. It's like you know going going to, di- to dinner and just sitting across f- from one person, and then going to a dinner as a big group and having to shout across the table to try to talk to that same person. Right. Yeah. That's um. That is a group chat dynamic that you have to work around. Maybe these group chats are not for you. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is I think John and I very much just both need our, our full attention, our own personal time. We're very, we're very needy like that. Okay. So, so Damien, just, just call, uh, call me. I'm, I'm fine with however he wants to uh, communicate, but waiting, he's got his boundaries. That's what we're, we're establishing at this point. Uh, it was a very nice message though. Hmm. Let's get into some news. So the wellness policy Thursday at three. Okay. I have some updates. So we're doing Rewind to SmackDown on Friday. Saturday, it is Postmarks with Kate from Montreal. We can break Mm -hmm. the news. Kate from Montreal making her Postmarks debut. I have heard this could be an award-winning edition of Postmarks as they celebrate one year of marking the posts. That uh, that is correct. Yeah, Bruce and David like always do a tremendous job. And you know, that is a group message um, or from earlier today that, that I think was a very fitting um, message. Sent <laughs> Look at way now going through the Rolodex. <laughs> How many people have I offended in this last 30 seconds? But you know, like the, it, for somebody that I talked to, I would say on a, on a pretty regular basis, at least monthly, you know, in, in Kate from Montreal, I don't know that much about her, you know, outside of, I think our conversations about professional wrestling and from the brief, show description that i've seen from these two like i i'm 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 going to learn so much about kate from montreal and i'm very excited for this episode so that's dropping on saturday 
on the cafe feed. Yes. The cafe feed, correct. But it's available for everybody. So you can yes. just, just go join the cafe. Just just join the cafe. Do that. Do us a solid. Join the cafe. Your your life will change. Okay. It's like getting like laser eye surgery. Okay. There's before, there's after. Once you get the cafe, be like, oh, I get it now. This is awesome. Yeah. You can you can you can message both of us afterwards. We'll give you our numbers. Uh, so Saturday night is UFC 281 from Madison Square Garden. Now, I have made the executive decision over the last couple that we will do these on, on, on Sunday afternoon because the Saturdays have gotten very late. I also have extremely early Sundays that I have to get up around 6 a.m. So Sundays have, have worked out very nice, less pressure, watching the pay-per-view, can take my notes, don't have to be racing afterwards. It's a very dynamite Esque experience on these UFC nights. So yesterday, I get a notice in my mail that on Sunday, my entire street, the power is going to be out from 8 a.m. till 3 p.m. on Sunday. I was like, what? You can just do this unilaterally. Take the power out for our whole street on a weekend. You're doing this to me. And I'm thinking, damn it. I'm supposed to be doing this UFC show on Sunday. And then it goes to... I was like, I wonder if Way would let me use his house. But then I recalled, you're going to see a movie on that Sunday. Nor do I think that uh, your your current living conditions are uh, are prime for a, for for a guest to be uh, coming over to record. My parents' Wi-Fi or uh, cable very very unreliable. So we are in. You're the going to Sudbury. I am not going to Sudbury. I am no. uh, I am not going to Sudbury. Eric's welcome to come over here, but that's. That really defeats the purpose because okay. I have no power on Sunday. So we will we we are figuring out a start time as we speak for this uh, start of this UFC mm. 281 show. You are going to get a post show this weekend. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm going to overcome my city turning on me and trying to disable all connections to electricity on Sunday. Very this is infuriating me, and I'm only getting a few days' notice for this. I mean, this this should yeah. be two weeks. Two weeks I got to prepare to have no power for hours, hours upon hours. What's going on here? I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, the world is in shambles. You know, people are paying for blue check marks. You, you don't know who to trust. You don't know what you're you're walking into. I typed in I typed in Twitter today and I just saw a giant bonfire. That's what Twitter looks like right now. It just looks like the place is burning down. I'm all for it. I'm I'm okay. It's with kind it. of more it's kind of more fun now actually. I kind of like the chaos. It's like, you know what? This has been um an interesting experiment and it's time to just burn it down and see what what remains. What yeah. survives yeah. this? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's just destroy it. Actually, you, I don't know if he'd be burning. It'd be more uh, electric electric fuel. I guess you're right. You're right. He does yeah. have he, he does have that that leg up on things. So there you have it. That's the latest. Now let's move on to actual news items. Um, anything to add, way before we uh, no. we move on? Do you have no, any, this uh, is going to be a five hour show. I okay, already know. sorry, sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it down. We're gonna get very brief, very quick. We're gonna start off with um, an update on Kane Velasquez, who has been in custody since February when he was first. Uh, charged with attempted murder and multiple uh, gun-related uh, charges stemming from uh, where he allegedly uh, chased uh, a vehicle that was containing a man who is accused, Harry Goularte, of uh, of sexually assaulting Cain Velasquez's son. And he allegedly opened fire on the so, vehicle. So it was his son, not not just another relative. 
yes, they have now come out and mm. said his son. Okay. So, um, yeah, so he allegedly opened fire and did not strike the intended target, but rather the, the man's uh, father-in-law. There were three people in the vehicle. So this was the whole incident that happened back in February, and he has been in custody ever since then. He has had three prior attempts trying to uh, be able to post bail, and the judge turned him down three times. He got a different judge this week who gave a lot of restrictions on Cain Velasquez, but l- did grant him bail. Uh, it was set at a million dollars, and Cain Velasquez is now out on bail. His next hearing will be November 21st, and this case is still to come. They've also, the Velasquez family, believe they filed a civil suit against Harry uh, Goularte on top of this. So there, there's a lot um a lot of legal proceedings in the future for Cain Velasquez, not the least of which is the attempted murder charge and other charges he's facing directly attached to this. But he is home now for the first time since February. It's we, We've covered this throughout. It's an awful story mm-hmm. and one that, I mean, th- there's part of you that can understand a parent just losing control of any semblance of reality when you're going through something like that, that your child has been through. At the same time, any outcome where you might be pulled away from your family for 25 years to life is just that's just not a solution for anyone. So it's this is at least a reprieve. He's home with his family. He's being monitored while he's at home. Um, He's got to go through a a bunch of certain um, uh, there's several restrictions in place and uh, counseling that he is going to be going through as well. And yeah, this case will proceed. But when. When and if this goes to trial, which, I mean, it very well, it will, um, it's going to be a major national story. I mean, there's going to be a lot of um, focus on this, just the, the nature of it, the, you know, the celebrity involved with, like, here is an ex-fighter, and I'm sure he's going to be painted a certain way by by the media in terms of this, but it's also a guy that is facing 25 years to life uh, with these charges. It's incredibly sad. You know, um, that's honestly all, all there is to say about it. It's a terrible situation for the entire family of Cain Velasquez. Um, it's 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 very difficult for me to even begin to be able to understand, you know, the the amount of anger and the feelings that that man must have felt in that time. And I, I almost you know, you almost wonder if he didn't care about this end result, you know, um, the, the, the blind range that, that it takes to, to go up to somebody with, with a weapon, um, knowing, you know, maybe ha- or expecting at least, uh, some of the repercussions that he's dealing with right now. Um, it, it, it probably took a lot and anyway, we'll let the courts decide this. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a real heartbreaking story. And on top of this is a child that needs a, a father needs a mother. Yeah. It's like, uh, a child that has allegedly gone through this that is i mean th- there's mm. just so many ramifications to this a very very sad story indeed so on wednesday a trailer was released for this peacock documentary that we knew had been in development on teddy hart and it was released today and i mean they're pretty much positioning this as peacock's answer to tiger king And it's this wild, insane story. But what is new that we were not aware of is that WWE is, in fact, involved in the production of this. They listed uh, WWE put out this this notice that they're working along with Bloomhouse Television, who were the ones that were 
going to be involved in that Vince McMahon scripted series, um, the the U.S. government versus Vince McMahon, uh, and then Pyramid Productions and Plebeian Pictures. So this is going to be a docu-series that premieres November 22nd, Dangerous Breed, Crime, Cons, Cats. And it's been... Uh, this is the synopsis. Canadian filmmaker Frederick Croach spends 10 years trying to make a reality show about controversial independent wrestler and Persian cat breeder Teddy Hart. After accumulating years of footage, Frederick is shocked when multiple women whom he has been filming alongside Teddy describe disturbing accusations of sexual misconduct behind the scenes. As Teddy defends himself against growing allegations... His protege and ex-girlfriend, Samantha Fiddler, goes missing. With Samantha's family desperate for answers, Frederick re-examines the footage and seeks out the people closest to Samantha, leading to a dramatic current-day confrontation with Teddy Hart. Now, this story involving Samantha Fiddler, who was an ex-girlfriend that went missing in 2016, uh, Polk County uh, in Florida... They were the ones that um, had investigated this. They have never listed Teddy Hart as a person of interest. So I think that's worth um, putting in there. But this just looks like a documentary or a docu-series that is designed for Peacock to just like this is their wild true crime series that feels like it's just going to be insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, just looking at the headlines. From E! News, attention, Dr. King fans. Dangerous Breed will be your new true crime obsession. I mean, that's, that's I think, clearly maybe at least what Peacock is hoping for. Peacock is looking for any kind of hit. And yeah. I guess they they feel this is their uh, their best attempt at, you know, you know, these true crime series. I mean, you get hmm. one that hits. It's it's a big deal for these services. I don't know if that is what this is going to become. I am surprised WWE is involved with this, that they yeah. are tied into it because this feels like a wrestling uh, attachment that they would run from in prior eras. Agreed. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, let's just anybody listening to this, I think has been well familiar with the name Teddy Hart in a long, long time. Um, I, I guess, you know, maybe being in the bubble, we don't exactly fully realize how strange um, the person might be um, to the point where, you know, you can consider him almost like, you know, another. Um, what What is this dude called again? Joe what? Joe uh, Tiger King, dude. What's his name? Oh, Man, I've forgotten. I forgot so much about that. Felt like a million years ago when we were all watching Joe Exotic. OK, thank you. Um yeah, wrestling is certainly full of these sort of characters. And I think we've always looked at Teddy Hart as just this like, oh, okay, the, the kind of out there guy who's a very talented wrestler, certainly loves his cats. I believe like on one of our shows mentioned training was in the works of, of training um, his cats to do spots. And it was just always a bit almost like a sort of a joke, you know, that we would all kind of laugh at while still having like a lot of respect, I think, for his in-ring ability. That's always been a story. Um, this seems to be taking it to a much far, far, far darker level and um, with serious, some serious ramifications. I haven't really been following his story, at least, you know, in our circles for the past several years, but it sounds like this documentary is exactly going to dive into that. Um, you can expect the production to be really strong, but I'm, I too, am surprised that the WWE would want to attach themselves to something like this because of course they have the excuse of, you know, them being able to say they've never employed Teddy Hart. He's not been one of their wrestlers. I mean, he, he was in their developmental system on two different occasions. So, I mean, he he has been under contract in WWE. Okay. Um, 
but there's enough sort like they, he was never on their TV. Like he's never been a prominent character. You know, there's at least like enough sort of separation there. But to the general public, I think all they see is wrestling. And this is potentially something that can, you know, dirty like the, the just just the sport itself or the art itself. And um, that to me in the past has been something that they've wanted to shy away from. But we haven't seen the show, you know, and maybe maybe they feel that there's a very compelling story here that they can, I don't know, make money from. Another documentary is the one that uh, Ric Flair is involved with. WWE is involved in this one. This is another one on Peacock that they are getting involved with. It's with Ric Flair and uh, Tom Rinaldi from Fox Sports that are the ones producing this. And uh, Ric Flair uh, was asked about this on on his podcast at uh on his to be the man podcast and this was his answer uh when addressing the uh the plane ride from hell allegations that were covered on dark side of the ring last year uh and this was transcribed at fightful flair says one of the most difficult things i've ever been through in my life personally aside from health issues is having eighty-five thousand people tell me within two minutes that i wasn't on the opening of raw or smackdown after that bullshit from plane ride to hell came out which is all bullshit it is explained thoroughly in my new documentary i mean thoroughly i am calling some people out big time if they had left me off i wouldn't mind it because i had my time and it's not my time anymore but it is something that means a lot to me personally as it does to everyone else i'm sure they would tell you if you were being if they were being honest with you it's a big deal you're seen worldwide three times a week so it seems like the uh the issue that was most pressing to him was uh, being removed from the, uh, the the signature. But at least uh, this documentary, they will go in like this will be Flair's side of the uh, plane ride from hell, which did um, generate a lawsuit in 2004, but was settled. And that was all covered in the dark side of the ring episode. Um, so, I mean, this this will like um, rehash this this story uh, of the plane ride from hell, which is certainly, I, I think, one of the more uh, controversial episodes of Dark Side of the Ring that they have produced, given the allegations that were there. And and Heidi Doyle speaking on the record about what she accused Flair of. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I would say it was one of the episodes of Dark Side of the Ring that maybe had the biggest ramifications outside of the of the show itself. You know, um, led to a whole lot. Um to you know in, involving the, the rick flair rick, rick flair's career and, and, and real i would say status i mean he did go on to just you know continue to to wrestle a lot a lot of people cared about that match afterwards but um he hasn't you know as far as i know like been uh legally reprimanded for for anything so that gives him the ability to tell his side of the story in the similar fashion through a documentary um and you know, he gets to say his piece and we wait to see what, what his defense is. Ratings from Monday. Raw did 1,593,000 viewers, a 0.43 in the demo. So they they were up from last week's Halloween episode. Um, and this went against the, uh, the Monday night football game between Baltimore and the New Orleans Saints. There was an 18% dropout throughout the show in in both viewers and the demo. So it was not on, on the higher end of uh, raw numbers during football season, but um, at least an improvement from last week, uh, but, but a pretty sizable dropout in, in the third hour throughout the show. Um, women, 18 to 49, one in four women in that demo tuned out from hour one to hour three, which is a very high amount when it comes to uh, drop uh, dropouts throughout the show. Um, but that was that was Rod's number going against Monday Night Football, and 
you know, they, they started off like they were doing some very competitive numbers against Monday Night Football. It softened a little over these last couple of weeks, which I think is also correlated with, I think, a little more criticism of the raw product over these last few weeks that it has it's sort of settled into a show that is um, it, you're sort of seeing more not good. I mean, it's there's elements of it that I think are improved, but I think these last couple of weeks, I think there's been a lot of of tropes that they have fallen back into that has worn thin on people and and stories too that I think have fallen under a lot more criticism, even compared to SmackDown, which I think is greatly boosted by what's going on with the Bloodline, which is the hottest thing in the company. And mm. Raw does, you know, you you can look at some of their big players being down, but it it has lacked that that big personality, that big act that that SmackDown has in comparison. Yeah, and I I'm I myself am, am trying to ask if it's simply because we're more used to, you know, the, um all the changes that Paul Levesque brought with him and now we can start to maybe, you know, see the show more for what it is or has it been the you know the show just actually getting worse than than when it was when it when it just kind of uh, came back, you know, after SummerSlam. Um I I I I don't know. Um, I I think you know there there often maybe tends to be a bit of a lull, you know, toward this period before we head to, head into WrestleMania season. You're not getting some of those big stars that I think you know you you probably want to have heading into WrestleMania season. Your um, biggest acts are like Bloodline and Bray Wyatt, and they're off they're off on SmackDown. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd put Ronda Rousey in that category anymore, but I mean, it's you know certainly you know Raw. It's it's Rollins, it's Bobby Lashley. It's like, you know, when you when you couple the fact that you're down Randy Orton, Becky Lynch, Cody Rhodes, uh Edge, you know, Edge, a part like it, even like even a, a smaller character Ray, but was in like mm-hmm. a prominent program at the time and I think that's a lesson a bit too. Um, you know, you, Kevin you just, Owens. Owens Kevin Owens been has been off for for several weeks. So it's like it's some key components that when you add them up, um, you know, it's 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 a hit to Raw when you're down all that star power on on Mondays and mm-hmm. you're getting shows like you did this past Monday. Uh, NXT on Tuesday was maybe the more interesting number. So they were only down 1% in viewers with 664,000. They were up 11% in the demo. And this was going against all of the election coverage of the midterms on Tuesday it had no impact on this NXT number. Like this held up very well uh, in in comparison. I mean, women eighteen to forty nine were up twenty three percent this week. Their eighteen to thirty four number um, equaled their highest mark since uh, September. So, I mean, they did well. Not even just comparing week to week, but going back, you know, months in terms of that eighteen to thirty four number. Um, there was a lot of NXT fans that you know what the um, the fate of the country. Not as pressing as whether Zoe Stark and Nikita Lyons could get the tag titles in their final chance against uh, Katana Chance and Caden Carter. I think we know the story by now. You know, if you're watching NXT up until this point, there's nothing that can happen on this planet in our existence that'll pull you away from keeping up with this product. You know, they have a very loyal core fan base and, um, this this doesn't maybe a surprise surprise me. Anymore. I expect Dynamite to be hurt more by the election tonight and mm-hmm. the night after sure. than NXT going against the live coverage the the night of as the returns are coming in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Dynamite of course will have its core base as well, but you know, it, it, it's it's trying to grow beyond that. Um, whereas 
I, I think it's more of an indictment for NXT. I mean, they should be very, very happy that they have this core core level, but um, have they been able to ex- exceed beyond that when there isn't competition like this past week? Have you been watching any of Tales from the Territories? Have you seen any of the episodes this season? I have not, unfortunately. I've I've watched some of them. I watched the uh, this week. I watched the one from a few weeks ago on Florida, which I thought was a really interesting show, especially the last portion on Eddie Graham, especially towards the end where they talked about the fact that he he had been an alcoholic and went like 13 years clean. And then towards the end, they just said, like, this guy was a tremendous individual when he was, you know, not drinking, but a monster uh, when he was. And they had some pretty um, some pretty sadistic stories involving Eddie Graham and just how the business was at that time, which is not an excuse for it, but stories of, you know, bringing guys down to the gym that wanted to try guys out and they would just stretch these dudes. And like, and granted there could be some embellishment here, but Steve Kern recalls a story of locking the door and this guy is running for the doors and he can't get out as Eddie Graham just comes and just beats the shit out of him and just these stories. And I, I don't doubt that there is validity to many of these stories when, uh, especially in a territory like that. But Eddie Graham is a figure that I, I wish more was kind of looked into, especially his, his latter years. I mean, it was a very tragic end to his life, but it just seems someone extremely influential and you never got that big, um, like deep dive of like a book or a documentary into Eddie Graham. And I think, you know, a lot of people are not around anymore that, that work so closely with him, but he's a really fascinating figure at, at a time, uh, and not just in Florida, but his, his time in New York, uh, really like one of the major power brokers in, in the NWA. Uh, so that's the one I've watched lately. Last thing is a uh, UFC 281 that, uh, I will, uh, try and watch this weekend power permitted. And I just want to talk about just, uh, some of the, uh, the stories going into this card on Saturday. It's headlined by Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira, for the UFC middleweight title. So the, the backstory here is that they had two fights when they were both kickboxers. The first fight in 2016 saw Pereira win uh, what was a pretty close fight, won it by decision. And then they had a rematch the next year that Adesanya was doing very well in the fight and got brutally knocked out by Pereira, who has now made the leap over to MMA and just three fights into his UFC career, he is getting this title fight against Adesanya. And they've done a great job of promoting this fight with the backstory. The If you've not seen the countdown special, it was very strong because they have all the kickboxing highlights of their fights. And it it's some spectacular stuff, especially with Adesanya. But you do have a great story here of here is this dominant middleweight champion. And he has these blemishes from kickboxing. And now this guy is coming over to fight him in MMA. I and this is a very winnable fight for Alex Pereira. Like this is one where this is very much a test for Adesanya. And uh, there was a very interesting series of interviews on Monday on the MMA hour where his coach, Eugene Behrman, share and like way well, you've been around enough of these these coaches in MMA that I mean, they give you so little or it's just greatest camp ever. Never been better. I mean, he goes out there and he talks about this camp. It was rough because he's got um, there's four city kickboxing guys, including Adesanya on this card. And at one point in the camp, Behrman pretty much has this meeting and he just tears everyone apart. They're being complacent. He just get, he said it was pretty brutal what he had to do. And there were, so Eugene Behrman comes on the show 
And then Ariel has all the other fighters on the card come one by one onto the show for a sit down. So we get all their perspectives of this wow. just destruction of a speech by Eugene Behrman. And um, it, it was really like some fascinating stuff. And you don't typically get that insight into a camp, especially during a fight week. Um, uh, Eugene Behrman hmm. is a unique individual in that sense. He just kind of laid it all on the table of like how he was um, just felt certain guys weren't um, performing well enough, weren't doing enough. And, and he even ranks the fighters like who came on board. It was like Dan Hooker was first on board. Adesanya was the last one to buy into my critiques. And then Adesanya comes on and he pushes back a bit about this. So it, it was some very interesting. Um, just was he, you, was he eating muffins? No muffins were were consumed hmm. during this at all, um, but uh, cupcake cupcake man punk was uh, maybe the the spirit of him was was certainly here in Eugene Behrman. Uh, so so that's the main event uh, strawweight title fight. Carla Sparzo, who is coming off a brutal, terrible fight with Rose Nama Yunus, where she won the title back, is taking on Zhang Wei Li. I dude, people are. Just completely dismissing Carla Esparza in this fight. Zhang Wei Li is around a minus 400 favorite, and and she should be the favorite. There are more ways for uh, Zhang Wei Li to win this fight than for Carla Esparza. Carla Esparza, though, is a very good wrestler, and I've seen enough of her fights where she has been uh, overlooked, and her wrestling has shut down opponents. I'm not saying that's going to happen in this fight, but there are some very wide odds in this fight, and it seems that everyone just assumes she is keeping this belt warm. Uh, for Zhang Wei Li. So we will see what happens there. And then the other major fight is uh, Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler in a lightweight fight that has virtually zero chance of not being among the best fights of the year. Um, Poirier has won seven of his last nine, but he is coming off that loss to Charles Oliveira last December and has the most knockouts uh, in UFC lightweight history. Chandler has had four fights in the UFC since coming over from Bellator and has just they have been action packed every single time out and is coming off that knockout win over Tony Ferguson, where he damn near kicked his head off uh, in May at UFC 274. So that should just be a tremendous, tremendous fight on Saturday night. And then you've got Frankie Edgar in his retirement fight against Chris Gutierrez and Dan Hooker, the aforementioned, the first guy to buy into Eugene Behrman's uh, changes against Claudio Puez on the, the main card. So I'm looking forward to this. It's a very good show. Uh, Dominic Reyes is fighting on the undercard. Molly McCann, who's a big underdog. She is also fighting. Um, this should be a very good card. I hope I get to talk about it on Sunday. At some point on Sunday, you and Eric, I'm sure, will be a... What's, what's a the window? Of of, what's, what's the latest you can do a, a review of a show after? I feel like there's, a, there's Ten only years. so many. Ten years, really? Okay. I mean, we do it. We do it all the time. I mean, before Monday, I think, or before before Raw, I would say. You know, so I, I think you got time. We'll get it done by Sunday, latest. Um, so mm-hmm. anyway, there you go. Let's get into tonight's episode of Dynamite. How was the show before the show? Uh, yeah, good. I think. I think a good eight out of ten. Okay. Maybe a, maybe seven. Seven? No, no. I'd, I'd say it was better than that. The show before the show show. <laughs> yes. Dynamite was in the Aganis Arena on Wednesday night. Uh, around 3,500 tickets out for this event uh, per WrestleTix. So another market, another major market, well down. They were around, uh, they were, this is where they were for the Dynamite after WrestleMania weekend, where they did FTR and the Young Bucks. And that, I believe, was around like 5,500 or so that were out. So down like 2,000 
uh, roughly. So, I mean, this is this is a trend for these AEW returning markets. And starting things off is the eight-man tag with the acclaimed and FTR against Swerve in Our Glory and the Gun Club. Did you see the Kieran Culkin lookalike in the front row? No. They no. cut to this guy, and I swear to God, it was Kieran Culkin, but he was never identified. And I would think if Kieran Culkin was actually in the crowd, they would have made a big deal or any kind of deal out of it. If you go back and watch during the entrances, this guy was like a dead ringer for Kieran Culkin. I rewound it. Okay. I was like, that's got to be Kieran Culkin. Um, is he a wrestling fan? We know his brother is. Kieran Culkin, I think, has been at shows before. He might have even been at AEW shows before. Um, right. Okay. They, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe he asked not to be shown. Uh well well they cut to him. Oh this, per, this okay. person. But they just never identified him. So I mean it could be a guy that just looked a lot like him. And maybe they hoped, hey, maybe people think it's Kieran Culkin. Yes. Moving yes. on. Yes. FTR, they noted uh coming off their title defense, a battle autumn over the weekend, and Tony Schiavone picks up that there was no fist bump between Swerve and Keith Lee before the match. So pay attention to that. Max Caster comes out. It was a busy week. So he rapped about uh, delivering more L's to the teams than Tom Brady. He's got receipts like he's Herschel Walker and will make them say sorry like Kyrie Irving. Yeah, all, all this kind of flew over my head. I don't know. I don't watch really any sports except um, this. So well, you did probably you get it all? Be- you probably don't want to be lumped with uh, Herschel Walker and Kyrie Irving uh, this week. That would probably be a, a good way to uh, assume one's uh, projection to the world. Okay. Billy Gunn then races down the ramp. His hands are taped, so they are, they are honoring our, our plier angle. And he attacks Swerve. The whole place is chanting daddy ass. Like <laughs> This guy was the most popular of everyone out here at the beginning. And they note his good friend BJ Whitmer is out here to stop Billy Gunn. Well, they gave him the run-in spot, you know, and, and yeah, he is incredibly beloved at the moment. So I thought it was really well-designed, and I thought it was a good way to somewhat undo, I think, the, the you know, the, the, the his his last week's um, uh, appearance where coming right off of the attack, he was incredibly jovial and just, you know, celebratory when he should have been, like, incredibly sad. You know, the man, he was kidnapped. Had pliers, you know, uh, breaking his his hands in, in a very traumatic event. Maybe so, it was a delayed reaction. Yeah, I get it could be. Yeah, you ever cut off your finger? Well, he didn't have his fingers cut off. They were, he had them broken. Um, yeah, maybe he thought, ah, this isn't so bad. And then you know, two weeks later, it's like, man, this is not healing as fast as I thought. It's a pretty shitty thing that this guy did to me and my hands. Sure. It does happen. Um, you think we, we're going to get Billy Gunn and BJ Whitmer together at some point? Uh, is BJ Whitmer still wrestling? Well, maybe he could come out as uh, his new partner, BJ James. Ooh, very nice. Um, I I really enjoyed, in particular, Austin Gunn in this match. This guy mm-hmm. just bumps around all over the place. I think it's like the, the Gun Club. I I like their role. And I think in particular, Austin Gunn, like he plays a great little like chicken shit heel that just gets he just bumps all over the place for these guys. And I, I thought he was kind of uh, he was very enjoyable. I found in this match. I, I agree. I thought the gun club stood up to me, too. You know, like, let's remember, these are two guys, at least, you know, with Colton, like I, I he only began his career in AEW. 
And considering the lack of experience being in there with people like FTR and Swerve and Keith Lee, like I really think they hold their own. And I think charismatically they have that exact same sort of obnoxious energy that the new age outlaws had. There is a Boston scissor party and then the acclaimed back into FTR and they stare at one and each at one another. And we go into the picture and picture during the commercial break. W. Morrissey appears and drills Dax Harward with a boot. So we got this recap after we came back. Bowens gets the tag and he's hit with a big rig by the guns. And the announcers ask, why would they hit him with the big rig to to annoy FTR? Yeah, that's probably why. And Caster makes the save. We get a standoff with all eight. And then Dax uh we get a bunch of spots to the floor, starting off with Swerve with a Tornillo. Then Dax superplexes Austin onto everybody. Uh, there's a sharpshooter applied to uh, Austin. Colton breaks it up. He's doing the suck it signs and then gets caught with the arrival by Bowens, a mic drop. And then finally, FTR hits the big rig on Colton for the win in 12 minutes and 21 seconds. To anyone in Canada that watched this on TSN2, this was a nightmare to watch. Mm. The picture was fine, but the audio was a, a mess. And thankfully, this was rectified after after this match because I was like, this is going to be a hell of a struggle to get through this whole show where it was just chopping in and out for the whole match. You could barely uh, put together the commentary. I thought about jumping to a, an illegal stream at some point. Um Thankfully, the action, I think, was so visual, though. You know, you could pretty much tell what was happening. Just It, you know, it, it, it didn't it. kill it. It was just you're, you're not paying attention really to the commentary. Yeah. But the, the, the picture was fine. I'll take the picture over the audio. It, a good, fun, you know, high-paced opening match. These baby faces in the ring and in, in the acclaimed in FTR are both incredibly over. They did tease some tension between the two. So they're almost, you know, trying to do your best, their best to, like, tease the, um, you know, the, the swerve and, 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 and leave versus acclaimed match. Um, it could be anybody facing FTR after that. So I think they're doing a decent job of that. But for me, it was, again, the guns that kind of really stood out, you know, like for, for guys, again, that are relatively new into this thing, they're really finding their place in the division and they're definitely holding their own. Yeah, I was curious if they were going to insert either one of these teams into the match, if they were going to put FTR into this match at full gear, the way they were playing this. It's... It's possible, but I think you want to finish the trilogy off first, you know, like you want to actually close out the, the, the three singles matches before getting to the FTR. So they had advertised that MJF was going to speak on the show, but the way they did it was different where they recorded um, a bit where he went to Barstool Sports and appeared on Pardon My Take. And he has asked a question about the recent attack by the firm and MJF answers the question that he should not be traveling if he wants to be 100 110% at full gear. He doesn't want to be perfect. He wants to be above. He wants a 10% jump on optimal health. He calls this the most important match in the history of the sport to crown the next face of the next generation and compares it to San Martino, Dusty, Flair, Hogan, Austin, Rock, Cena, and that is who MJF is. And he cuts a promo on Moxley, states that he is unathletic, but respects him for working hard, beating the odds to become the best pro wrestler. But he's going to lose that handle November 19th. 
I was born to be the professional wrestler and bring pro wrestling back to where everyone is talking about it. I'm sick of waiting my turn and having the spotlight taken from me in my big moments. And he goes through big matches and pay-per-views he's had where they were overshadowed by a neck tattoo, Matt Hardy falling like Humpty Dumpty, Jericho falling off the the cage at blood and the first blood and guts and overshadowed by a press conference and at full gear, the devil gets his due. Really excellent promo. Of course, um, with MJF, um, almost like a very classic baby face promo. It's got a bit, it must've been awkward for the other guy stand in the room. eh? Like, you know, he just asked him a question. Then MJF starts talking for like five minutes. Uh, on his own, but I was waiting for maybe he brings up the press conference and we hear like a, a voice bubble off screen where we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> it was a very good, almost very old school, classic baby face promo. So good. And I think so baby face that you almost think this is a guy trying to fool you. And um, certainly like doctors telling him that he shouldn't be traveling um, to heal sounds very much like a, you know, I can't go to school today because, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't type of excuse. So I think there's still a shred of doubt about what this man is truly up to. Yeah, I've, I've, I've learned this when I, I have asked uh, Max. Max, how's your cough? My cough? <laughs> <laughs> is he is uh, Maxwell Jacob Pollock? Yeah, I guess so. So. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was a very good promo here from MJF. I like kind of doing something like a different style. I do think he should be on next week's show, and and you yeah. can be creative in how you do it. But I would certainly want MJF on next week's show. But it was interesting because tonight was really those go home promos. I don't know what the next step is, especially if you're not going to have MJF in the arena next week. But maybe maybe he should be. I think he has to be. I do too. Like it's maybe he shows up at the end or does something. Um, I don't know. Like, what is your temperature on like how hot this match feels right now? And really, I mean, and and full gear as a whole. You know, I think that it's it's a very good show on paper. I think that this is a good build. I question after after the pay per view if this is all designed for a big MJF turn. Maybe you can justify this build. But I do feel like doing kind of these dual babyface builds, I don't know if it's the most effective way to build this. And if you were going this way, the one that jumps out at me is right near the beginning of this program. Is MJF cutting that promo and mocking Moxley for his his alcoholism? Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like once you've introduced a line like that, there's there's none of this kind of like 50-50 thing of uh, like – presenting these two like moxley has this respect for him it's like it's almost like you have crossed the line now with this with that kind of a statement well, wrestling fans have very short-term memories well i don't think the john moxley character should have a short-term memory when something like that is brought up well moxley still still hates him they still very hate each other very much but but you know the we as an audience are supposed to um respect max's determination you know but but is that conducive to building the rivalry? Um, I I don't I don't exactly know if you know if they went for a straight heel babyface you know story if if it would have been better. But I, I I mean I certainly do know that his lack of presence on the show will hurt it, especially next week. Yeah, this is a this is going to be a very tough pay per view in terms of um you know outside of Forbidden Door, this is 
uh, a CM Punkless pay per view for them. With with that sort of whole thing still very much hanging a dark cloud over it all, like much of the audience's you know attention is still very much on on that whole ordeal. Yeah, the, the elite is a big add on to the show. I feel by the time we get to that weekend next week, I mm-hmm. feel like that will feel like the biggest thing on the show, and, mm-hmm. and maybe it already does to people. Like I, I think that. The way they're doing it, I, I think it's a good build. We'll get into that uh, as well. But I do feel that's going to feel like the biggest thing going into Saturday. And then MJF will have something else to complain about. You're right. Yeah. In his hometown of Newark, New Jersey, as they're pushing constantly. The tri-state area. Stokely Hathaway, uh, there was a video, and he thought that MJF and him wanted the same thing. But he's dick-riding John Moxley. And that's the wrong crime to commit without a license. So he doesn't need a best friend. He can do this by himself, and he will see Max in hell, win, lose, or draw. Okay. I mean, so that appears to be the program after Full Gear, or this could all just be a misdirection. And um, if it is, in fact... The the firm just uh, destroyed this guy as a plot? Sure. I I would hate that. I don't like that aspect at all. But, I mean, I, I at least don't close the door on it. MJF and Regal coming together, that's been set up like that to me would be a great turn for all of this. The Mm -hmm. firm just working with him and we saw the beatdown. I hate that stuff. I I really I don't think people would respond positively to that. We'll see how they explain it. Ethan Page with Stokely Hathaway versus Eddie Kingston, who had Ortiz in his corner. This is the first title eliminator tournament match. And Taz explains that the winner will face the winner of Bandito or or Roosh on Rampage. And then Excalibur corrects him, stating Roosh and Bandito will have their match on Rampage. And then the winner will face uh, the winner of this match. So Taz just responds. So what are you correcting? What are you correcting? Uh, that's what I said. That's what I said. <laughs> oh, it was great. Um, the, they just. Yeah, they just slid this in there, but this is you know pretty noteworthy is that next week they will have information about their debut in the UK, which is coming in the new year. So some announcement next week about going to the UK, which is way overdue uh, and was held up by the pandemic. But that's now is probably the time you're, you're seeing a lot of these, you know, attendance figures and, you know, it's ripe. It's, it's a ripe market for them to go over there. Uh, Page is controlling throughout uh, the commercial crowds getting behind Eddie, who comes back with an exploder, applies the stretch plum, but Stokely gets onto the apron to distract the referee so he cannot see the tap. Ortiz then pulls Stokely down. Eddie lets go of the hold, misses with the Urican, and then a roundhouse kick lands by Page. They're noting his Taekwondo background, so his kicks are more lethal. And then Kingston bites him on the turnbuckle, gets crotched, and it culminates with Ethan Page hitting an ego's edge off the turnbuckle, dumping Kingston onto the mat and pins him in nine minutes and five seconds. Pretty impressive finish here, you know, and a fun match overall, you know, as most Eddie Kingston matches uh, tend to be because the crowd just connects with him so well. This Um, was a big fall for Eddie Kingston coming off that turnbuckle. I mean, it was like, yeah, it was. Yeah, he's not a small person. Yeah. I mean, but I like the fact that it was, to me, a relatively clean finish here. You know, I know there was a bit of distraction from Stokely at the end, but still somebody for on the level of an Eddie Kingston, who I think is relatively well protected in AEW. Um, for Ethan Page to pin him in this fashion with a devastating move, one, two, three in the center of the ring, tells you they have 
very high hopes and they have a lot of confidence in Ethan Page being able to go far into this and further beyond this tournament. I think people are expecting Ethan Page to win this tournament, which mm-hmm. if this guy is being built up for a big title match on television, I don't know if I even would have put the tap out spot in. I understand that you're you're trying to hedge here for Eddie Kingston. I think there's also certain times where it's it's more about the guy that needs needs the big elevation here. But winning this he, tournament he will be got it, though. He to me, like a, a, a win over Eddie Kingston was a big elevation for Ethan Page. So he will face either Bandito or or Roosh, and they've got to ran, run through this tournament next week because uh, this was the start of this tournament that has to get to the finals in uh, 10 days. Well, really, it's just two more matches to take place on TV, and then you have the match at full gear, right? Yes. Like, these three matches are taking place all on Rampage. So Rampage will have three tournament matches. So they did do the angle where Ricky Starks was laid out. And then the, when they were teeing up the Rampage matches, they did not list Archer and Starks. So I don't oh, know. Okay. Um, they're taping it as we speak. So, hmm. well, by the time people are listening to this on Thursday morning, you can see what the results are. But it was noted, like, unless I missed it, it things go quick. But I was paying attention to the graphics um, and they did not put up Archer and Starks and that angle would suggest to me that, I mean, why do that angle unless um, maybe a buy? Yeah, that that's what I'm thinking, or at least a replacement. Cause they did list quite a few matches for, for rampage that I don't know if you could necessarily fit uh, hmm. another tournament match in there, but the, the other two for sure you're getting. And, and probably like, what would you say? Like even page and bandito in, in the next round? Yeah, I would say so. I, I would hate to see Bedito, you know, in his first, I think, real match, you know, as a, as a signed talent come out, come out with a loss. Um, but you have to ask Ethan Page versus Bandito. To me, that's a tough one to call. Um, I mean, Bandito, I think losing doesn't really hurt him that much, you know, like, especially if it's the next, a heel that, a heel that's supposed to take him out. So, um, I'm still going with Ethan Page, I think. Renee is with Roosh and the Dark Order, and Jose says that Roosh is going to win this tournament and the title, looks over to Renee and says, sorry, and then we'll give Preston Vance the first title shot while the other clowns will never get a shot, and Roosh tells Preston he doesn't give second opportunities, as John Silver calls him a Roosh bag. You like that one? Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, I... This I'm, Roosh, I'm ready Vance for this is... shit to be done. Like, I thought it was, was done. Yeah, what did he need? Like he he beat him in in a didn't he beat him in a match where like wait, well, they wait, were Roosh supposed to do the singles match where if I beat you you go away and then that got turned into the uh, the three way right right for the all Atlantic title yeah and Cassidy won so you, I guess he was allowed to continue to bug him. Yeah, I mean it's it's to me one of many ongoing mid card feuds in AEW right now that I just uh, that really should have been over a long time ago. I don't. And Andrade is just off the face of the earth now. He's in like Miro Land. He's complaining about not um, being tweeted at for his birthday by AEW. That's you know um, that's that's a pretty big offense. (laughs) Yeah, Wardlow. His open challenge was answered by Ari Davari, who is with Way's favorite character Jeeves. Jeeves K and uh, of course he wants to buy the TNT title. Um, he did not accept. No, this. no, no, he didn't. He, he said he's willing to offer his Butler services in exchange for the TNT championship. Okay. Well, he also had money here. He was holding money. So I think it came with an offer too, but yeah, he was going to oh, offer okay. Jeeves to, to Wardlow so he can have his own servant just like he was a servant to MJF. 
So Wardlow comes out with Samoa Joe. He dispatches Jeeves and then headbutts Davari, makes a gun gesture, which I guess while Omega's gone, he can borrow this for at least another couple of couple of days. And then power bombs him four times and he wins in a minute 48. Ari Davari did not win the TNT title. Wardlow then calls out powerhouse Hobbs and says, I finally have a suitable opponent for my title. And the TNT title will always be mine, and I'm going to take every title in this company. And all of a sudden, Samoa Joe looks down at his title. It's like, wait a minute. I can't remember. Are ROH and AEW the same companies? Um, are they all the same? F it. And he blasts <laughs> Wardlow from behind. And I'm not going to say this was at the level of... Uh, the WWE camera crew cutting away from Edge's first spear in nine years when he came back at the Royal Rumble. But this is pretty damn close where the contact to Wardlow, they cut to Hobbs missing the contact. I mean, this yeah. was of all pl- times to like cut. So Joe kills Joe or sorry, Joe kills War- Wardlow and War Joe is done. He applies the Coquina clutch. They do establish that this is not an alliance of Samoa Joe and Hobbs because Hobbs says to Joe, I'll kick your ass too. So we've just got – we need like a uh, like a detective board with like the thread to just keep all these uh, personal rivalries connected and figure out who is attached to who. But that's the end of War Joe. Wait, we're never going to say War Joe again. Oh, I'm so disappointed, Dan. Um what are the gates of agony going to fit in? That's what I want to know. You know, Khan, Toa Leona, you know, how do they fit in? Um, yeah, you, the question you're left with afterwards is, is Joe a heel? Was this a Joe heel turn? And I think they were making an effort to show you that that was not the case. Uh, first of all, with, you know, Hobbs saying that he still uh, wants to face Joe. And I think Joe, like motioning to the crowd, raising his arms up, very much told me that, like, he's still supposed to be a baby face. I thought um, they did a role. Who hits you from behind? Well, come on, man. Listen, when you need to check a man for, you know, uh, claiming to to win every single championship, um, I think hitting from behind is is justified. Aren't these different companies? I'm sure he was excluding ROH titles. Wardlow's not going after these (laughs) ROH belts. And if you want to win every belt, last I checked, there's about 85 tag titles. He needs a partner, doesn't he? This this was for for Joe. We're we're gonna win some tag belts here. We're gonna clean up. Tag partners aren't that hard to fight. But a- anyway, like the, you know, they set this in motion maybe even earlier than than Friday, but really on Friday with you know um, Wardlow kind of pushing Joe aside in interviews and the Mark Henry interview and whatnot. And um, I think Joe's done a pretty decent job of acting in the background like he's pissed off, but without really acting pissed off until today with that line. So. Breaking that team up, I, be, I think maybe a bit earlier than I expected, John. Um, what do you think is the direction for those two? I mean, a three-way it looks like, right? Well, that's what it feels like. It's to go to Wardlow and Hobbs would render this angle useless, and it just feels as though, well, we we got to get everyone on the pay per view. That's sort of what this feels like. Like, and what I about Brian Cage? Sure, put him in too. Make it a four-way. And the Gates of Agony. Yeah, make it a six-way. And the Kingdom. Uh, make it an eight-way. <laughs> What? And, who are? Who is this kingdom you speak of? Uh, the kingdom, the newest. I, mean, I, mean, I missed the week. <laughs> there are a lot of people on the show, and Full Gear is going to be a big, big one too. But, it, but if the suggestion is that, like, do you, do you feel like they hot shot at this just to get Joe on the sh- on the show, or or was this in the works a long time ago? 
because I think they had some real, yeah, at least like some decent story building potential, you know, for for uh, Wardlow and 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 some. They had, spent, they had spent several weeks on this Wardlow Hobbs program that it just felt like this was a necessity to get Joe involved, and it just felt too soon to be doing this with with Wardlow and, and Joe. Um, Perhaps, yeah, yeah. Renee is with the baddies, and Jade Cargill and Nyla Rose is official for full gear. Jade's going to handle her ass and handle it this Friday on Rampage. So double handlings coming up, and uh, she's going to do something on on Rampage with Nyla Rose. She's going to do something on Rampage, yeah. yeah. This, Nyla, is, Nyla, Nyla, this is another feud that should have ended like five months ago. You know, like Nyla Rose stealing the, the the championship and Jade trying to, you know, play cat and mouse every single week, trying to chase this thing. I mean, oh, man, it's not Dexter Loomis Miz level, but like I, I, I'm, I haven't been loving it, you know. Then uh, the big segment, uh, Tony Schiavone brings out Britt Baker and then brings out Soraya and we get. Soraya explaining that she has taken MRIs, CT scans, and unfortunately, for Brit, <laughs> I'm 100% cleared. Exactly like that. Exactly. That delivery. <laughs> she says that AEW is her house, and Baker asks, is there anything more fickle than an AEW fan? As they're all behind Soraya here. And we go back and forth here. She calls Soraya a superstar who had the audacity to skip in here and call it her house. You didn't lay a single brick here. I'm everything you wished you could be because you left your house and walked into mine. And we don't take walk-ins. So, bitch, make an appointment. Good lines. Healthcare. Should leave that in the voicemail for her dentistry. Office. That was great. Soraya's comeback. She states that Britt was handed her position by Tony Khan and fed QT's trainees. And you've only been in front of a camera for three years. You don't know what it takes to be a superstar or even a star. I traveled up and down in the UK for free because I loved it. I was hit by a car and wrestled the same day. I was turned down at places just for being a female I started revolutions before they were a trend or wrestling was even a twinkle in your eye. And then I watched this woman turn into JBL as she listed off the arenas, almost the exact same arenas as Monday. I've worked the, the garden, the O2 and a hidden gem that I don't know if anyone has the tape of page worked the Tokyo dome. When, what, what time, when did we miss this? Um, she maybe meant she's, what she maybe meant she's speaking about the, the future you know maybe she's a she's she's predicting she will somehow maybe get into stardom you know for one of these crossovers okay um she meant Subo hall yes and the internet Subo was hall. was dunking on her pretty hard you know for I this mean, for this poor mistake it happens she then explains how she was publicly humiliated in front of millions of people, battled a drug addiction publicly, and she gave her career and her neck for this business. You don't have a clue what it takes to make it, but I'm going to give you another opportunity handed to you on a silver platter. It's my comeback story, and it's the biggest match of your career because we're facing each other at full gear. 
And with that, Baker tries to attack Soraya, who stops her and hits the uh, the unidentified, formerly known as the Rampage. Yeah, I guess you can't call it that anymore. Or she uh, could just uh, use it on one show. For AEW. yes, yes, uh, that's it. Yeah. We'll see what the name is. The uh, the ra- yeah, I I don't have anything. So the su- mm, yeah, um, <laughs> really strong emotion here. Really strong promo from the both of them, but especially Soraya, rightfully coming out at the end of this. I think with um. You know, with with the feeling that she maybe is actually worth the hype, you know, like they started this whole thing back after All Out. And from that moment, I personally was so excited. I thought she was just like the perfect type of big personality, well-known mainstream figure that like an AEW women's division needed. And that coupled with like her comeback. Um, I was just re- ready for like I think great storytelling, maybe great matches, and certainly great promos. And the the night or the Wednesday after that, to me, made that segment in particular so disappointed because we got anything but that. Not only did we not get a very good promo like we got tonight from Soraya, the continued ambiguity of her clearance. I don't have an issue with them delaying the tease or teasing so that you've ultimately built up to this week to finally announce that big sort of triumphant comeback moment at the end of the five years. But I felt like they did such a bad job of even teasing, you know, like they, they, they kind of did shot certain angles to, to already kind of announce it, but like not necessarily announcing that like she's, she's working towards it. Um, it just really, I think, killed the hype. And that's really unfortunate because always at the end of it was going to be a moment like this where, you know, Soraya Bevis like would go on TV to announce that she's finally ready. And the real emotion on her face, I thought, was just so nice to see. You really felt it for the person after everything she's gone through. And then her mentioning everything else, public humiliation, you know, battling drug addiction to finally come to this point. Th- these are real accomplishments that she's overcome to get here um and i i definitely feel like she won you know much of the the naysayers back with something like this and this program finally feels to me like it's on an upward trajectory um i just wish that there was a bit more planning for the material leading up to this between all out and this point um before we get there but you know by the time listen the, the, the if the match is great we'll we'll forget about everything else yeah, they, they really needed a segment like this. I thought Soraya was her delivery was terrific in this, like that you could that emotion came through. And I will say where when this promo started from Soraya, I was not liking the direction where it was more so like everyone watching this looks at Britt Baker as the top female in this company. And it started off as with. I'm from WWE, so I'm way bigger than you are. And Mm -hmm. to me, it took me back to the punk press conference and just destroying Hangman and this minor league company full of children. Like, that's the tone this took. So I was glad that it sort of veered into her personal story and what she has overcome that by the end of this, I thought they got to the destination they wanted to be. And her delivery, I thought, was terrific here. Like, it was when she announced that she was cleared, you could see, like, it was an emotional uh, mm-hmm. announcement for her. Um, so, yeah. overall, like, this worked. But I, I was leery the way this was starting and getting into the, the you're a superstar. And then, yeah. you know, that I, I'm 
I'm the bigger star because I came from the bigger company, which is not the message I want right now. Yeah, the fact that, you know, what do you know you know about being a star because you've only been on TV for three years? Three years is a long fucking time, you know, to be on TV and, and, and leading an entire division. So to me, it's almost a line that kind of like nullifies, you know, she was at the very top of AEW. She has arguably been at the very top of AEW in that division for three years. So you're saying nobody in this company is a star. I mean, by, by saying I mean, like Paige that. was only on the main roster for what, like 2014 to 17. Right. I mean, it was. Just so, a bit longer than that. So, you know, like there were certainly moments I agree with you in, in, in Soraya's promo, uh, John, where like I think it could have used some editing to get rid of some of, some of that stuff. Um, I would have liked to hear Soraya actually acknowledge Brit's, Brit, Brit's accomplishments a little bit more. You know, talk about how you are at the top, Brit, you know, and, and you're the person I'm trying to chase to, to get back to that spot after being away for five years. Like really put over your opponent before kind of setting yourself up as the baby face underdog. Yeah, I think I think you could have certainly got rid of like you're in this spot because Tony Khan gave it to you and you mm -hmm. beat some scrubs from QT Marshall. It's like, well, then what are you what are you beating on at the pay-per-view or conversely, if you fail? What are you failing to? Right. You're also like talking to an audience that is already going to side with Britt Baker more than you, you know, Saria, because they've seen Britt Baker like claw her way up to the, to the top. Like she, she really earned that, that this spot because she's been so good week after week. So the audience has a lot more reason to care or, or side with, with Britt than they do Saria. But I mean, there was enough good content from Saria's promo that I think she won them back. Um, as I said, I feel they got to where they were, but this was not without its its flaws at, at the beginning. But I think it was more important where where they got to at the end, and and this felt like a notable match for the pay per view. By the time it was mm -hmm. over with, like this will be one of the more like everyone's going to be very curious to see how she looks after uh, after five years. Yeah. We go to Sanjay Dutt and uh, and company thanking Cole Carter as they paid him for last week. So I feel this guy needs to wear a name tag. I think that everyone needs to be reminded of his name each week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me what, what, what was this? So he's not part of this group. That's what it felt like. They paid him for a week's worth of, uh, dressing up in the sting outfit, probably as dry cleaning. And then, um, what was the point of all that to, um, to, to 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 like distract people to set the scene for Jeff Jarrett. That was Jeff Jarrett's grand plan. He, he was coming hire, to attack. He was coming to attack Darby. We're gonna hire a guy to dress up as Sting so that he can unmask, so that I could sneak up from behind. Sneaking up from behind in a wrestling match is not that hard to do. You know, I, I think this was way too elaborate. This was also like just I mean, it just kind of set up for a, a kind of a negative moment with a pretty flat reveal last week and, and one that didn't even result in anything because it just seems like he was just a one week hire. Like what? What was it? What, what happened? What is this? Well, well, he's with the factory. We do establish that. So he's with Team Factory. Now we we did. I mean, last week we thought he, he had left the factory. He was just loaned out. He was, you know, he was. Yeah. Available for hire. Loaning. Okay. This is you know this is how independent contractors work. Way. All right. Sure. I think it's. I think this sucked. Dan House and Cassidy and the best friends walk in. This sets up Orange Cassidy defending his title against Lee Johnson. So the idea is like Orange Cassidy will just defend this at the drop of a hat. You don't have to convince him. You don't need a long promo. You want to fight him? Cool. It's done. Mm -hmm. And Lee Johnson cool. will face him on Friday. And then Trent calls out to the scumbags. Lethal, Singh, and Dutt. 
And that sets up a match for tonight between Beretta and Jay Lethal. So that is our next match. Jay Lethal runs out chop-blocking the knee of Trent Beretta. If you listen to Tony Schiavone during this heinous attack, Tony is remarking, I'm surprised more people don't do this. This is an effective technique. It's like you should always chop block the guy from behind on the way to the ring. He's just he's giving his back to you. Why don't yeah, more people I mean, do this? I mean, the bell hasn't rung. You know, there's no real sportsmanship in it. No code of honor. If you're an I mean, this was from behind. Uh, so on the Samoa Joe scale, I mean, this is uh, this is fine. This is babyface material. OK. Yeah. Trent gets sent over the steps. And the ankle is stomped. Chuck and Danhausen come out, as do Singh and Dutt. Lethal comes off the top, lands uh, the elbow on the knees. Uh, Trent hits a half and half off the top, running knee, and then goes for strong zero. But finally, the knee gives out. His knee had uh, different recuperative abilities throughout this match. It was up and down. And then Singh and Danhausen get on the apron. And uh, Dutt gets punched in the balls by Danhausen. Singh then sends Danhausen off the apron and Lethal kicks Trent's injured knee, lethal injection, and pins him in seven minutes and 17 seconds. I thought the match was just kind of there for me. You know, it was like one of those AEW matches where like, you know, the in-ring content will be good because these are two veterans who are, are, are both very good in the ring, but there's just no mm, story are no real interest in the characters. Like Trent is somebody who I think depending on uh, the opponent, perhaps, and maybe depending on the circumstance, people could really get behind, but he has no storyline right now to speak of. He's just another body. And Jay lethal is um, the guy who's feuding with Darby and um, the lone wrestler in a, or at least the lone full-time wrestler in, in a faction of four. Well, Shivani interviews them, and Dutt says, I run this place. We delivered our big surprise last week, and they bring out the Hall of Famer, Jeff Jarrett, the last outlaw. And Jarrett explains that when a friend calls, a friend shows up. We put a plan together, and that started last week. And he explains his connection, signing Jay Lethal to his first contract, and he oozed machismo mentioning his wins over Ric Flair, Sting, and being a Grand Slam champion in ROH. While Dutt has an IQ of 181, and they took over promotions around the globe. And my good pal Sutnam Singh, he's seven foot five, and doesn't wear red skinny jeans while being produced by a banana nose circus. Banana nose, that's a... No, that's one I've not, not heard before. That's what uh, Terry Funk used to call Ric Flair. Oh, okay. Uh, but um, I have no idea what that ties into other than um, this this uh, knock uh, against uh, Braun Strowman. Well, a man with a big nose is, is, I think, what a lot of people read it as. Okay. Who works in that company. Uh, I, I guess that's that was that was his shot at Paul Levesque and Braun Strowman then. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's how a lot of people read it. Um Red skinny jeans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Only, only one, one description uh, mm-hmm. since that one. Um, maybe that was a receipt for the, uh, the floppy floppers line over the weekend for Braun. Did you see? Oh this? yeah. Could be, could be the flo- yeah. the, flo- the floppy floppers. <laughs> he's, uh, that, he's, that, uh, that's a man that's going to miss Twitter. He's done remarkable uh, things for his, you know, uh, his reputation on there. He was made for this app. Yeah. 
And then the challenge is issued to Darby Allen, uh, but we can't really get to the gist of this challenge because the producer is wrapping up Jeff. So Jeff threatens this producer and then just walks him down. And this producer like hightails it into the crowd. And this just ended very abruptly. I just thought this was going to be a guitar spot. And Same. it was I, just like he they just went all the way down the aisle and then he left through the crowd and we cut. It's like, what was what happened here? I guess, like, I, I I don't know the reason why you would introduce, you know, this sort of like non-character other than just as a as a person to take one of Jarrett's shots. And um, what was the point of this? Was it just to simply like show how threatening Jeff Jarrett could be to um camera crew? Was it just to make Jarrett it was really like a flat? Threat? So I don't know. This felt like yeah. some miscommunication because this just seemed primed for the guitar spot. Like, what else would would you be doing here? Dude, I don't know, man. I, I I can't explain this entire faction, John. You know, like they have had a lot of TV time, but it's always been a group that has missed something to me. And I don't think that missing ingredient is Jeff Jarrett. Okay, I don't feel like Sanjay Dutt has been a very effective speaking leader of the group because his delivery is just like frantic, high energy rambling. And um, I I just I I don't think it's that great. Sutton is a guy who doesn't wrestle, but like, you know, he had a great spot last week. Um, Lethal is the guy who, the only guy who wrestles and and he can already speak. So then throwing in another semi-retired wrestler in there who, you know, I suppose is now doing the, the bulk of the heavy lifting speaking. I guess I just don't exactly know like who this faction is supposed to be elevating. Um, why they decided to put, you know, all the various attributes that each of them offer into this particular group. And um, I can't really say that the creation of, of this entire segment was that great either, especially with the Cole, like Cole Carter would have been somebody that, I, okay, I can understand. That's the Randy Orton, you know, that like, that's the person you want to elevate coming out of this, but he's not a part of this whole thing. I, I, I just, you know, I, it, there's been enough criticism over the past week about, about Jeff Jarrett's appearances on this show Um, to this week certainly didn't, aid that at all i didn't think jared's delivery was that great i think i could see even that much more you know uh, negative attention to it um when they announced the match at the pay-per-view with him renee is with jungle boy and he's going to issue a challenge face-to-face with christian cage and luchasaurus on rampage this friday big, big push for rampage um as they're trying to follow up on on last week's show John Moxley is out with William Regal. He talks about when he first met Regal when he was 25, how he talked a lot of trash, and he wanted to be just like Regal, feared and respected and a real top guy. So he picked a fight with Regal and got tortured by him, um, but it taught him where he stood on the food chain, and then later he came back for Regal and took his ear off, his words. And he compares this to where MJF is now, beating MJF at All Out two years ago and sent him packing. But now he's back for another shot, and he seems to be having an existential identity crisis. Who is MJF? He talks the talk, but Moxley actually is the one that goes out and does it. And you can't fool me. He calls himself a pillar without knowing what it feels like to have any weight on his shoulders. And he laughs off his nickname of the devil. Devil, stating that he has seen and met the devil. He has seen some bad people do very bad things. MJF is not that. And wants him to fulfill his potential, carry this company one day, but asks what he has in his guts. Because Moxley will bring it out of him in his hometown of Newark. Everything up until now has been easy, is his final message for MJF. 
Uh, I thought this was a tremendous promo. I liked it more than MJF one personally. Um, and I, I feel like it's really, it's, it's almost like not fair because it feels like it comes so naturally to John Moxley. It feels, it feels almost like you put a microphone in his hand, you turn the camera on and just like improvising and he can give you something like this. I, I, there's, there's something that really stands out to me about this compared to the MJF promo. And it's that like Moxley, when he says these things, Somehow it feels incredibly authentic. Even him talking to him about himself as being a multimillionaire, which is weird to think, you know, a guy who like looks like John Moxley is, you know, he's got a lot of zeros at his bank account, you know, and great for good for him. He deserves it. Um, but when he speaks, it just feels incredibly real and authentic. Whereas with MJF promo, and again, this is MJF. So probably by design, it feels like a guy playing a baby face. And, um, I, again, I, it's all leading me to think that, you know, we are going to get that turn um, at least before or at the pay-per-view. On Saturday, November 19th, Post Wrestling turns five years old. Hey, guys, longtime listener. Congrats on the five years. Doesn't even feel like it's been that long. Been a listener since back in the law days, and I think that's how I stumbled upon the original podcast. I've listened to just about everything since. Listened to a lot of the review aways twice. Met you guys at a In and Out in Santa Clara after WrestleMania. And congrats again. Keep up the great work. Leave your memories at memo.fm slash post wrestling and join us Saturday, November 19th at QXT's nightclub in Newark, New Jersey for our five year anniversary show presented by our friends at Real Digital. A live Q&A, the post-origin story, VIP meet-and-greet and event t-shirt with the largest gathering of the post-community ever. Tickets available now at postwrestling.com slash live. Then we had our next Elite video, and this was... Um, only pointing you in one direction towards full gear. We had all these old photos of the elite with uh, brief appearances by Cody, by Prince Devitt, Kevin Owens, um, and all the full gear graphics and uh, the clock ticking. So this was very much leading you in that direction. And I, I do think that you save them appearing until the pay-per-view, but making it very clear, like what's, what's happening on the pay-per-view. If it's a match, are they just appearing? Um, I you just you have wanna... you have pack in the in the death triangle come out and throw 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 down the challenge or at least like say that's fine week. i just i hope they set that up by wednesday and don't mm-hmm. like leave it like yeah, ambiguous and and they there's, seem to be pretty much sending you in the direction here i don't think there's any the only ambiguity you're right is whether or not they're they're in a match but i would i would probably safely say that they're, they're like last week pretty much match. laid it out of the death triangle like yeah they, exactly with the, the leading video mm-hmm Jamie Hayter and Sky Blue. Uh, we have Tony Storm in uh, in the blue corner, and then uh, so Blue takes like quite a bit of this match. They go through the commercial. Sky Blue is in a very difficult spot here. She is not over, and she's against someone that the audience is getting more and more behind. So it was kind of a tough spot here. They went almost seven minutes. Um, t- t- some some rough patches at different part parts, especially this, this roundhouse kick that sky blue went for that. Even the announcers kind of called out. Uh, but then she rallies with a, a high cross onto hater for a two count code red. This is after knocking rebel and sky down on the floor. And then hater stops her with a boot. And then sky blue is on her shoulders, comes off for a Casadora, and it's caught and 
Hader just yanks her by the arm into the ripcord clothesline, which is a really nice setup for the finisher and showing you the different ways she can go to the finish and pins her in 647. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I thought overall it was a fun match. Um, we've seen a lot of sky blue recently in sort of like multi-man matches. And this was one where she got to a, a bit more of a chance to kind of show off. Um, I thought there were a lot of really flashy, ambitious things here from her, maybe not all of it looking super clean, but I mean, I was overall perhaps, you know, a bit more impressed than maybe, uh, other, others were, but, um, She's got like something as a baby face. I think like it's, it's... <laughs> so they have a lot of people like that in, in their division, you know, a lot of people with something. Um, it's just about actually like going, going ahead with them. So yeah, she's another one. Rampage on Friday. So Brian Cage and Dante Martin is one of the title eliminators. Bandito and Roosh. Um, Archer and Starks was supposed to be on it. We will see what happens there. Orange Cassidy against Lee Johnson for the All-Atlantic title. Nyla Rose's open challenge and Jungle Boy challenging Luchasaurus and uh, Christian Cage for something at full gear. Marvez is with Lance Archer, who takes out Ricky Starks, rams his head into the door and states that he's not going to make it to Rampage as Marvez screams for help for Ricky Starks. And the main event, Sammy Guevara with Ty Mello taking on Brian Danielson in a two out of three falls match. And they have a very fast start. Uh, Mello gets in the way of Brian Danielson's dive. So he goes to the floor, pushes Ty aside. And with that, Guevara whips a chair into Danielson's face. And he is disqualified in about two minutes into the match for the first fall. Guevara then attacks Danielson with the microphone to the eye. And when we come back, Danielson is bleeding over the left eye and Excalibur ties this back to his torn retina that he had back in his ROH days. And that is the focus of Guevara's attack. He lands a knee strike and the GTH, which he just drilled him with in 742. So it is even, Uh, you know, I don't know about you, John. I know it's been many years now since Brian Danielson has returned, but like Jesus, like seeing that chair thrown at his head, seeing, Oh, I know. Like it, it still makes, makes me very concerned. Yeah, the yeah. the chair was certainly oh. like he just full on just threw it at him. Um, yeah, I mean it's um, yeah. Th- th- there were several things in-, in this match that were jarring. Bryce is checking on the eye. This is when Excalibur informs us it will be Sting and Darby against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal in 2022. Listen, like I I feel like the we know why Jarrett's here. He's got a backstage role. He's potentially helping out with house shows and and, and all that stuff of which he seems incredibly qualified. Um, and, but man, like to, to put him on the pay-per-view, like, I, I know like Sting maybe kind of needs some sort of like, I don't know, um, guy that's around his age with, with that he has some history against to, to feud with, but like, I, this is only going to build resentment and, 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 you know, people mm, questioning, I think Tony Khan's taste, uh, of what the audience really wants. Cause I, I just don't know if like Jared is really adding any sort of in, real interest on a pay-per-view. He's certainly the most polarizing figure and among the most that they've ever hired um, for, for this role. I don't think you'd have any of this if it was just a behind the scenes role, but it's um, rightly or wrongly. Like it's just what Jeff Jarrett represents to all of these companies he's been to. I think it's just to many people, it's sort of the antithesis of what they saw this company um, being three years ago. And, and they're at a stage now where, you know, that they're going this direction and trying this, whether this is a short term thing or longer. Um, you know, he is in a prominent story now going into this pay-per-view. 
Yeah. And again, like he works really well in like a GCW where I think the same way to me, like Zack Ryder works, like we're representing that other thing in the context of GCW um, makes that person really interesting. But because AEW is always in danger of being the next TNA, that bringing somebody so attached and so synonymous with TNA itself in a prominent role like this um, is, is only going to get people more concerned that it's headed towards that direction, which is, which is not like we're all overreacting a bit, but this is certainly not like mm, the direction that I think people want. Would you have an issue if he was more earmarked for ROH once that eventually spins off? Like, yeah, I would, because I think ROH is also very much in danger of being another TNA. Uh, Danielson knocks Guevara down, misses with a swan dive headbutt, and then they deliver these massive chops to one another. Guevara does a reverse cross right into a Basaiku knee. They're both down. Another commercial break. The announcers are suspecting Danielson could also have a broken nose. And then he's delivering kicks to Guevara in the Tree of Woe. And Guevara climbs to the top with a shooting star press to the floor. Then the uh, the double jump cutter is caught with an arm bar. Danielson turns it to the label lock. Guevara gets to the rope and then it's Danielson rallying. He goes for another Busaiku knee, but Guevara catches it and turns it into the lion tamer as Danielson gets to the rope. And then we see the GTH countered. He hits the Busaiku knee and he grabs Guevara by the wrists and goes to stomp him. Guevara with a Greco Roman knuckle lock escalates to the top rope and does the Ray moonsault DDT onto Danielson. And I'm just thinking that's the best finish here, but it's just a, a two count. As he goes to the top for a Centon Atomico, he gets caught by Danielson, more elbows, label lock, and he takes the free arm and locks it behind. So Guevara has no arm to reach the rope, and he submits 20 minutes and 37 seconds in total uh, to cap off this show. I, I thought a pretty strong main event, but also one where, where Danielson certainly took damage in this match, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it did really make, to me, the match a lot more dramatic because you could buy into the injury that much more, you know, um, for the rest of it. I thought they did a really good job of setting Brian up as a real underdog um, following the chair shot against Sammy Guevara. And, I mean, ultimately, this this just kind of resulted in, in a one-fall match, you know, at least one clean-fall match and perfectly fine for TV. Um, but it was a very good clean fall with the stakes well against Brian and Brian operating at his best, fighting you know, to overcome them. And one um, of the very few DQs that we, we've had um, hmm. on Dynamite. Yeah, but in the context of a two out of three falls, like it, it's not you're not leaving anybody unsatisfied because you're getting a pinfall at the end of it all. Right. But tremendous, tremendous match. Very well wrestled. The spots were great. Um, yeah, really good TV match. Yeah, I thought it was a very, very strong uh, main event that we got. And and I think a bit of a more return to form for this Dynamite than last week. Um, Jeff Jarrett, notwithstanding that, uh, you know, he's, he's I in. Like last, he's, I like last week more, John, you know, and I, really? I don't I, I for me, maybe like I didn't dislike last week as much as I think a lot of people. At least I found it a bit more interesting, a bit more newsworthy. I can't say the same about this one. You know, this would this might not have maybe pissed many people off as much, but like I. Like, you know, last week was fun in the end, you know, seeing Shibata, seeing uh, Tice uh, or uh, Rick Ross, you know, like I, I had I had well, no, like, nothing touched Rick Ross about. on this week's show. I mean, nothing was at that level. Yeah, this just kind of felt pretty run, run of the bill to me. And, and in fact, kind of skippable, if I have to be honest. 
Uh, I, I really like the promo segments for Moxley and MJF. Um, the Soraya one we went over with as well. I think, you know, those, those helped th- those pay-per-view matches as well. I really enjoyed the main event. Those were, you know, eight man was nice. Um, and that, that was the show. Yeah, I liked it, but there's nothing like I'm, I'm so excited for like coming out of it uh, where I have to be like, you got to watch this segment. Like, well, what feels pro- big to you for the, the pay-per-view? Like what's, what's kind of grabbed mm-hmm. you for full gear? I think that it's the elite, you know, it's certainly NJF versus Moxley, but like, I, I would actually say like maybe the elites return might be a bit more like, you know, buzzworthy right now. And that kind of goes to what MJF, um, I think so too. About. Yeah. Um, those Here's the things. card. We've we've got eight matches now. So it's Moxley and MJF, uh, the acclaimed against Swerve and Our Glory for the tag titles, finals of the Eliminator Tournament, Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter for the interim title, Jericho, Danielson, Claudio, and Sammy Guevara for the ROH title, Jade Cargill against Nyla Rose for the TBS title, Britt Baker against Soraya, and the main event, Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal against... Uh, <laughs> So, someone here on Wikipedia <laughs> turned OC. it into the OC. <laughs> sure, might as well. Uh, you're, you know, Sting and, and Darby. I mean, it's yeah, they're they're somewhat for life. Maybe Jeff Jarrett somehow gets the never open weight title when all, everything shakes out. <laughs> yeah, um, he comes back as the Bullet Club's hire to go after Hikuleo at the end. You of know, the he he is a he is a, a member, of course. Yeah, I I think Soraya's return it has my interest. Certainly, I want to see what you know how she is. Um, Storm and Hater, I think, should be very good, of course. And you know, the acclaim versus Swerve in our glory, like that's you know, they've all been incredible thus far. So let's see how they close out the trilogy. So I mean, it's a good looking card on paper. Yeah. How many more matches are we going to get? Oh God, at least ten more. We're only <laughs> at eight, John. <laughs> so we're, we're we've only got a week till till this pay per view. So oh, they just announce all a bunch of them, like you know, on the Friday at the at the very end of the show with Excalibur. Let us open it up now for super chats and for feedback, which can always be left at forum postwrestling.com as we go live here every Wednesday night, youtube.com slash postwrestling. Subscribe to the channel. You can turn on your notifications and you'll never miss a live broadcast from myself and Mr. Ting. Give that, hit that subscribe button. You're going to make Way's day. Every time you hit subscribe, uh, he gets a burst of like serotonin. Yeah. Endorphins, you know, I'm wired to it. Um, my, my phone's got a, you know, a, a little device that, that pings me and I just go, oh. so, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, uh, let's go to the feedback from forum.postwrestling.com. Uh, do you want to start off, John? Cody from Maine writes, in Boston for tonight's show, as I've been for every dynamite that's been held here. It's not the largest crowd this building has seen, but hopefully it translated to TV just how lively the crowd was. A very fun show, live, that set up a lot for full gear. Definitely looking forward to that event more after tonight. Apologies to Way again for maybe the worst penmanship on a sign seen in a long time as I got to explain to him. I can't attend the meetup at full gear, but it was nice to be able to show some support after more than a decade of following you two. Okay, I did not realize this, but this is um, Togi, I believe, uh, is how how he he uh, writes his name. But there the man is right here. No, um, that's not poor penmanship. That's how Nick Gage pronounces your name. It's Wa Wa Ting. That is correct. Yes. No. Thank that's you. A, so that's much. a hell of an eye. It's a very big eye. That's I like a block. He's... That's a brick. Yeah. Um, Wa Ting. <laughs> I think he explained it. He just like he probably didn't 
space it out enough. It it can be very misleading because you know the W takes up so much space. Mm. He centered the A perfectly in the middle of the piece of paper. I think I know exactly what he did. Yeah. Yeah, and then he's just left with all the space for the eye. So, I mean, it's really my fault or my parents' fault, I should say, for naming me this. So, but thank you so much, Cody, for, for the shout out today. Let's go up next to, uh, see, I lost my space because of all this stuff. Let's go up next to Robbie from London, Ontario, who says, as the impact fan that I am, I just love, I'm just <laughs> loving Jarrett so far in AEW. I may be the only one, but I always enjoy his work. But a fantastic promo segment from Britain Soraya. I'm completely back on with that feud. Her emotion got me a couple times, honestly. Fantastic main event. What do you guys see as Sammy's ceiling in AEW? How could you see him? How far could you see him going up the card? Nine out of ten show, he says. I see Sammy Guevara's ceiling is extremely high. Like he's um world champion. Um in the in the next three to four years, I I I would say like that is a that is a realistic possibility. I'm I, I think he's a super talent. Um, I th- I think you know he's 29 right now. Like by the time he's in his like early thirty like 33 34, like he could certainly be at, at that level in this company. Like I I see a potential, uh, very high ceiling for him. He's going to have to make that um, that that progression, but I think he's um, he's got a lot of the tools that I, I would see him being able to go very high. He's a ton of the tools. He's got charisma. He's in ring. He's he's absolutely incredible. Um, I think there's a comeback story to be told. You know, I I, I think um, I feel like the public's perception of him right now is that he's an extremely talented person. But like I I you know being involved in in a lot of I think backstage controversy, some of which are clearly not his fault. So let's be fair to him there. Mm-hmm. Um, but simply being attached to it and. Um, I, I feel like there's still some rehabbing of at least, I don't know, a public perception that needs to be done. Um, the whole turns and stuff with, with Ty, I, I think mm-hmm. it really sent him into a tailspin because I thought coming out of that second blood and guts, he was really primed for the big baby face run. And then it sort of just went sideways with all the, the Ty stuff that this past year that I think just got really, and the Dan Lambert yeah. thing, I think, you know, now He's in the role he should be now, but I think ultimately there will be a babyface run for him down down the road when they're ready to revisit that. Hmm. Saeed from Vancouver, enjoyable matches tonight. I might be alone in this, but I just can't stand Double J in 2022. And move of the night goes to Sammy for that amazing DDT. Friend ended up tuning in again, and he said that his favorite wrestler is Sammy and was very impressed with the main event. And All he right. wrote this in the style of Sammy Zayn, but I know he means Sammy Guevara tonight, I assume. Hmm. Yes. Thank you, Saeed. We got a Kate who, again, will be the subject of postmarks this week on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed. Kate says, it feels like full gear is coming together nicely. Most of the matches feel like they've had at least a decent build, and I hope they're not going to do too much more. We will. Uh, we're not getting too much more. We will. Sammy and, and Brian have excellent chemistry and delivered another excellent match. The bungled handling of Soraya's entering status really hurt what should have been a great reveal, but I'm very happy for her and I'm looking forward to seeing her return. And the last one is from Muggin. A good first hour followed by a topsy-turvy second hour. My TSN feed was acting erratic during the eight-man opener. It made it unwatchable, but by the MJF promo, it smoothed over. The two out of three falls match was strong, and Guevara isn't the technical wizard that Garcia is, but made his matchup with Danielson stylistically distinct. Soraya's a promo announcing her in-ring return had enough emotion to make it a well-done promo, despite the reliance of insider terms. I do have some trepidation about her ring rust. 
Um, I mean, that's going to be part of the the curiosity of how she looks after all these years since uh, wrestling. Mm-hmm. There will be a big, there's a big spotlight, and doing it like there's a lot of pressure on an AEW pay per view to perform as opposed to um, if she was doing this elsewhere. If this was on TV, like that's going to be um, certainly a very focused upon match. That um, you know, it's uh, it, it does feel like one of the bigger matches on the card now. I agree. So there you have it. Thanks, everyone, for the feedback. Thanks for all of you joining us live uh, mm-hmm. here in the uh, the YouTube chat. Friday night, rewind to SmackDown. It's Way and I this Friday night, 11 Eastern after Rampage, after SmackDown. Will the new day be hoisting those titles way after Indianapolis on Friday, ending the Usos historic run and only being the second longest reigning champions? Probably not. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Spoiler. Uh, so we will be live for all post wrestling cafe members. I also want to mention um, that we have several several members of the wrestling media that are participating in some Q and A's on the site about the Observer Hall of Fame ballot this year. So already up on the site is uh, Alan Forel from the PW Torch site. He is going through the Japanese candidates, and Thursday we'll be dropping another one uh, with the Cubs fan from Lucha Blog chatting about the Mexican candidates, and we have uh, lined up some others as well. So you can look out for that, um, covering the different sections of the Observer ballot uh, with some of the uh, the utmost expertise that is out there that I have been able to uh, uh, lure in for our Q&A sessions here at postwrestling.com. So yeah. thank you to Alan and uh, Cubs fan and more to come. Some of the biggest names, you know, in, in our space. So uh, you're, you're doing a great job of assembling the Avengers of uh, ballot voters. Who else you got coming up? Do you want to reveal or no? Uh, sure. Well, I've got uh, the Cubs fan. And then for the, the UK um, European section, we have got John Lister, who is a great noted author, um, has reviewed every single wrestling book in history that uh, has been released in the pro wrestling genre. So, uh, yes, John Lister and uh, trying to confirm some others. So, and where's my invite? Um, I am waiting. You are going to get the uh, the prestigious non-wrestler category if you want it. Oh, okay. What are your thoughts on Stanley, Stanley Weston? Uh, yeah, I don't know. The, Mike Tanay? Mike Tanay getting your vote? Mike Tanay, of course. Yes, the professor, of course. Okay. So there you have it. Uh, we'll probably do some show at some point on the Observer Hall of Fame in the uh, in, in the weeks to come. But that's going to wrap it up. Again, postwrestling.com slash live, November 19th. It's the post-wrestling five-year anniversary show. Some real cool stuff we are planning uh, for that day uh, in Newark, New Jersey. MJF's hometown, Newark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's will right. will will this turn be part of the new work maybe by MJF that has Ooh. been crafted? That's going to be answered on November 19th. And we hope to see many of you there. Uh Get your tickets now. That's it. Thank you for tuning in to Rewind to Dynamite, and we will speak with you Thursday at 3, the wellness policy, religion. (laughs) Good night.